All right. I cannot believe. I to the Trauma-Informed Educators <gasps> Network podcast. I knew it. Uh, this pod- oh, I knew it. You all who have listened, you heard the mess up last week. You hear it this week. I had great intentions. Jen, I told you it was going to go off without a flaw. I, I did not tell the truth. Well, nonetheless, I am really excited about tonight uh, for all kinds of reasons. Um, it's been a few weeks, unfortunately had some cancellations over the last few weeks. Life happens and I get it. And I, um, I respect when people are like, listen, I just can't, I can't do it, um, uh, for whatever reason. So nonetheless, we are back. This is actually episode 76. I actually put 75 on the, um, on the, on the, uh, advertisements. Unfortunately, I forgot to count the special one from like a couple weeks ago because it's been so while. But anyway, um, I want to uh, remind you all to join me if you're available and you're willing and you have the means at the 6th Annual Creating Trauma-Informed Schools Conference from February 19th uh, to the 25th this year in Houston, Texas. The Trauma-Informed Educators Network is partnering with the Attachment and Trauma Network And we want to invite you to the largest gathering of trauma-informed educators in North America. Pretty cool. A ton. It's like a family reunion. Um, We'll talk about who's going to be there later. But um, the best and brightest of this movement will be there. Many of of them have been on this podcast. Dr. Lori Desitel is a great friend of mine, um, has been there. She's going to be one of the opening keynotes. Jim Sporleader, he was actually the very first guest on here. Joe Brummer, Melissa Saden, James Moffitt. And they said the, they said the brightest, so they might have lied to you because I'm going to be there, and I don't know if I classify as the brightest, but I'll be there. Um, and we'll be talking about um, a community uh, connecting commu- to community and pulling them into the work. Um, if you want to buy your tickets, uh, please go to and I'm going to actually put it in the chat because it's really long. But you can go to the uh, www.attachment traumanetwork.org and you can find it there. If you're listening live, I'm actually going to put it in the comments so you'll have it there. Um, also, as you see, if you're watching live, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm simply going to tell you it's there and you have to trust me that it is. But at the bottom ticker at the very, very bottom of the screen, you will see that we are hosting the fourth annual Trauma-Informed Educators Network Conference. And due to uh, feedback from the Trauma-Informed Educators Network, um, to to the increase of the international participation in the network, and costs in Nashville uh, for venues, we decided let's just make it virtual again. We had a great time uh, last year in person. The year before was virtual. We want to have that international um, uh, presence at the conference like we did two years ago. I think there were nine countries represented. Um, at that conference. So if you're like, hey, I want to go and I think I could present. The request for proposals is open right now until February 10th. If you're like, where do I find, how do I submit a proposal? Well, you can go to the Trauma-Informed Educators Network uh, page or you can, if you're part of the group, it is pinned at the top. You can follow me on any of the social medias. I post it. Um, It is not on the website because I'm updating that right now. Um, but nonetheless, uh, if you want to present, we would love to have you. Uh, we have already secured two keynotes. Uh, one is Dr. Ricky Gibbs, who was on here before. His school was the focus of the promise uh, and looking at uh, racial equity in public schools today. 
uh, people are like, wait, today, yes, today, and how that played out uh, in him as a principal. And then somebody I just mentioned, Dr. Lori Desitels, is actually going to be keynoting as well. And there was one more to be announced soon. So um, one last thing before we jump into the episode. I'm also so excited to tell you all that this podcast has hit um, over 150,000 uh, streams at the end of the year. I actually checked it today as 156,000. Uh, so I cannot wait uh, to hit that 200,000 mark, have a celebration. But I also want to remind you, please give us a review. Um, go to uh, uh, Go to iTunes. Go to Spotify, whatever it is. Give us a little, give us a little uh, review because that's how we uh, increase the listenership. And um, by the way, I have never made a dollar off of this podcast. This is done because I'm passionate about it, um, and I want people all over the globe to hear it. So give us a review. Let people know that we're we're what, that this is happening and that they can come and learn with the rest of us. So without further ado, I am really excited to have tonight's guest. Um, as the CTIP Director of Government Affairs, man, that sounds that sounds really awesome um, to have that title. Jen is responsible for mobilizing advocates. Passionate about she's passionate about addressing trauma and working with Congress members, federal agencies, and the White House to advance trauma-informed policies to support healing. Jen has nearly ten years of experience advancing trauma-informed policy and practices through grassroots movements building advocacy and policy making. But most recently, um, Jen served as a member of Congress for three years as a policy advisor. Jen worked on trauma, environment, appropriations, financial services, and policy issues. Jen has a master's degree in gender studies and a policy, a public policy degree from, I noticed that it says the, or the George Washington University. So welcome, Jen. I'm so glad you are here. Tell us the Jen story. Tell us all about you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on this podcast. The first thing about me is I don't usually say yes to things like this uh, podcast, any media. I will usually send my boss. Um, but I like the podcast. I like working with you. So um, I thought I'd say yes um, and join and uh, get to connect with your incredible audience here on this pod. Um, I am a policy person, and um, I should give shorter bios because you really steal <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of what I would say. But I, I do have a master's degree. People from who go to GW are really strict about we are the George Washington University alum. <laughs> um, but I do have a, a master's degree in policy uh, from there, and. Um, I am the Director of Government Affairs at the Campaign for Trauma-Informed Policy and Practice currently. But before I worked at the campaign, or CTIP as we call it, um, I worked for Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley. And I worked for her for three years. She is the Congresswoman who represents uh, Boston and some surrounding areas. And um, I never meant to do trauma-related policy. I worked for her on um, climate and environment policy and finance policy primarily. Uh, but Congresswoman Presley has been really passionate about trauma since she was on the Boston City Council for many years. She is very well educated in a science, brain science, really understands uh, in many ways the impact of trauma across the lifespan. And so um, 
for congressional staff, for legislative staff, we have a portfolio. And so you'll have someone who covers finance, you'll have someone else who covers health, you'll have someone else who covers education, someone else covers labor and workforce. But the congressman recognized that trauma is not grounded in any specific sector. And the solution to trauma, it's not just a healthcare issue, right? Like we're not just gonna solve this with health policy. And so she created an entire portfolio that's dedicated to trauma. And I think I've never met another congressional staffer who handled trauma policy as its own portfolio issue. And so when I was working for her, handling trauma policy, that's when I got to meet a lot of incredible people doing the work in their communities through relationships to address trauma in the Boston area, but then nationally across the country. And people that I met with who had really good ideas about ways that we needed to change policy to scale the sort of trauma-informed work that, we, that they were doing locally. So we wrote legislation uh, in the public health space, in the education space, um, in the workforce space. And um, after working for her for three years, I had the opportunity to come over here um, at CTIP. And I'll sort of close with this. Um, when I was working in Congress, I met with a lot of people. And there were a lot of lobbyists who were very well paid uh, from industries that could pay them a lot. You know, certainly American Petroleum Institute, which was reaching out. <laughs> That's the oil and gas lobby. And, um, but it was the people in community who didn't have a lobbyist who had the best ideas. And I noticed just didn't know how to work with policymakers. They didn't know how to work with me. They didn't know what information I needed and didn't need. They didn't know how to work with the federal agencies. And so when I had the opportunity to come over to CTIP, I really thought, you know, the trauma-informed movement needs a lobbyist. And what a great opportunity to help set the strategy um, at CTIP for how we kind of advance trauma-informed policy at the federal level. So that's been kind of what I've been working on for the last nine months since getting to CTIP, is creating that strategy and implementing that strategy. And that has led me to meet people like you. Well, and we're going to get into some of the accomplishments that have already happened in that short nine months. I mean, a lot has happened. And for those of you who do not know, um, and she, uh, Jen mentioned it at the very beginning, where she said the campaign for trauma-informed policy and practice. I'm going to tell you that does not roll off the tongue. <laughs> I was joking with Jen yesterday. We we were on an event, um, and I tried to say it, and it just didn't come out. So CTIP it is, right, from here on out. Um, so tell us a little bit more about CTIP and, and what opportunities that um, principals like me, educators that are out there, can learn more, get involved, because... There's so much happening right now, um, and this is a great time for educators to be a part um, of the movement that's happening around policy in, in, in Washington. Absolutely. Yes, we need a shorter title, but the title does kind of say it all. We are a campaign for trauma-informed policy and practice, and um, CTIP was started in about 2015 
and a number of leading experts on the issue of trauma got together and said we need to have a voice in the policy space. Uh, we need to be able to represent people's stories and experiences in these solutions at the policymaking table. And so we um, do a lot at CTIP. Um, and the work that I'm responsible for is sort of the policy and advocacy components, so sort of developing that strategy, but also engaging people in every state across the country who are passionate in these issues, engaging them in the work that we're doing, and also giving them the tools to be able to engage in policy and advocate with their elected representatives at the state, local, federal level. Um, we really do a lot of work around networking and connecting people because I think this work can be lonely and can feel isolating when you're kind of the only one who gets it. Um, and so we have, um, on the third Wednesday of every month, we have a CTIP Community Advocacy Network call. And um, we use that call, it's an hour and a half, to help people further education, we teach um, you know, tools on how to be a strong advocate. I give my policy update, what's happening in Washington, DC, and in Congress, what's the president doing, what's happening at the agencies, what are some federal funding opportunities. Um, and then we have opportunities for people to connect and get together and kind of share what their strategies are in their communities. Um, and so that's a really great way to get involved. Um, at CTIP, we work in many different sectors and systems. So we um, don't work exclusively on education, but that is one of the areas that we have worked on is, is trauma-informed schools. And not just worked on, but making quick strides forward, right? Um, and so that brings me to the, to the report that, that CTIP created, the Trauma-Informed Schools Report. Tell us a little bit about the report um, how it came about, why it's so important, um, and then we'll get into the things that have happened since that report has come out. But tell us about the report and why it was so important um, specifically for education. Absolutely. The, the report fit into a broader strategy that I can kind of talk about, but, but I'll give some background is that when I came to CTIP, I immediately started meeting people um, who were passionate about this, educators um, and leaders who were working on the issue of trauma-informed schools that have been doing this for a really long time. And at CTIP, um, there was an effort to try and figure out how can we um, elevate this to the federal level, this, this wisdom, these strategies, these tools. Um, and we had been, the organization had been kind of sending messages to the Department of Education, can we get a meeting, can we talk to you? And I'm not an expert on education policy, but I kind of know uh, how to work with these people. And I knew that if you want to get their attention, um, you have to speak to them in a way that they um, will hear. And so um, it doesn't always work to say, we're a new organization, can we get a meeting, right? These people have hundreds of requests a day. Um, but if we can give them something to look at, that they can see, oh, this is credible, this is real, this is valuable, I can see for myself this is valuable, put it in terms that are accessible 
um, and tangible for them, then we could start to make some traction. And so it all started with this idea. I thought we need a very concise report. Um, what I've seen a lot in many different sectors and the federal level around trauma is that people conflate trauma with mental health and they conflate the solution to trauma with mm. um, everyone needs a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Um, and I think everyone needs access to treatment. Um, everyone deserves that. Everyone should have that. But that is not um, the extent of the solution, right? Like we need, it, when it comes to schools, we need more uh, people in schools who are social workers, who are trained in sort of the mental health background. But that's not enough, right? We need this whole system-wide approach to creating environments where all students, not just those that sort of um, stand out, but all students can have these tools. Preaching to the choir here, but that's not well understood. When people hear trauma-informed schools, they don't know what you're talking about. Like, it doesn't resonate. They think, oh, more mental health counselors in schools. Mm -hmm. And so I said, we need a, a short report that makes very clear what we're talking about when it comes to trauma-informed schools. And so we have a very brief summary on background. We explain how um, trauma and adverse childhood experiences can affect the brain and the body, how it shows up in the classroom as kids shutting down or not being able to complete their work or um, you know having an outburst. The problem of the status quo where that's labeled as disruptive, they're disruptive, they're kind of pushed out. And then the vision, and we gave some specific examples, a school in Texas, a school system in Hawaii. And um, I shared that with the department, the same you know contacts that we had been requesting meetings uh, since maybe 2015. And they said, yes, let's meet. And um, that sort of started this longer strategy that we're in the middle of. And um, Matthew invited you to um, join uh, the, the Department of Education, U.S. Department of Education, invited us to brief them on our report and invited you, Jim Sporletter, Peyton Barcel, um, our executive director, and myself. And um, that was sort of the start of, you know, what's become a, a longer-term relationship with the department. And I think we're really making strides. And I will say I sent um, the report to 500 congressional uh, staffers as well. And it has been read a lot, and I've gotten a lot of outreach as well. Um, and so I think it's, it's really I'm, what I'm trying to do is take what the experts are doing in schools and give it a platform that, that will get some attention. And I think it's working so far when it comes to this trauma-informed schools report. And I have to say that um, that first meeting, uh, I, if you would have told me uh, in 2015 when we started our transformation at Fall Hamilton that I would be sitting in front of some of the leaders of the Department of Ed of the, the, the federal government and talk, I would have never have imagined or believed it, right? And there weren't research-based strategies. There weren't science-based strategies. It was us just grappling with trying to figure it out. And and I appreciate that you and CTIP are willing to highlight those and that are doing the work. Um, and to have Jim, sport leader, there with us 
And, okay, I'm going to tell everybody, Peyton is actually, you didn't know this, Jen, but Peyton's actually going to be on here next week. Um, because when I heard Peyton speak from a student's perspective, and that's a perspective that is commonly left out in these conversations, and that CTIP knew, and knew to bring students to the table. Uh, and, and Peyton's experience as a student, it was, that was profound to me. Um, and those opportunities haven't stopped based off of this report, right? Just yesterday, um, we had another opportunity. And for those of you who follow me on uh, on social media, you probably saw the picture. I, I, I was very excited to be asked to be a part. Um, Jen, I will tell you that... <laughs> I can't believe I'm admitting this, but it's going to be the truth. So the email where they asked me to uh, be the moderator, I didn't read it two days when they sent it to me. I read it like the morning of yesterday or the after, actually it was late morning after Jesse mentioned that it was going to be that day. And I was like, uh oh, oh. <laughs> um, but talk about how a, another opportunity where yesterday myself uh, someone from uh, Castle, if you're not familiar with Castle, um, and the uh, is it the Center for what's this? Uh, my brain just quit. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll get it. City schools, Center That's for City Schools, great city schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the superintendent from Boston uh, schools as well. Yes, we got to have a webinar yesterday. Thanks uh, from me thanking to CTIP to allow me to be a part. But tell how that came about. And give a little bit of background on how we were able to be a part of that. Absolutely, yeah. So we um, that we were talking about with Peyton and Jim um, in November, and over the summer, um, Congress passed and the president signed into law the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And this was a bill that had a lot of policy around um, gun violence. And um, it also had a lot of funding to address mental health in schools, a lot of funding. And so all of a sudden, the Department of Education has a billion dollars that it's going to give to schools to address mental health, and then an additional billion dollars to give to schools that um, they can't really tell schools what to do with, right? Like there are very limited um, requirements on on how schools use that money. And so this is a really important moment that the department recognizes under the leadership of Secretary Cardona. They recognize that, wow, we've got a lot of money going out to schools. Let's see if we can get schools um, the education that they need to start thinking about using this money to um, enact sort of trauma-informed school-wide transformation. And so we had that initial conversation in November, and then they were planning this webinar, which happened yesterday, and they invited CTIP to take part in it, um, to bring that school-wide lens, that prevention lens to the conversation, because we had some other folks who were going to talk about restorative justice approaches when disruptive events happen and social emotional learning. Um, But they were really interested in um, having that sort of specific examples that we outlined in the report in our initial discussion about how you can make this happen. Um, 
And so we asked Matthew to um, participate in the webinar on CTIP's behalf. And um, I knew that you could be the perfect um, steward of the message and really wanted you to have that platform to be able to share exactly how you did it and really shift people's minds from thinking, okay, mental health, we need more counselors, um, which is good and a good use of money, but beyond that to think about how can we engage everyone across the school in, in what we really are envisioning when it comes to trauma-informed school transformation. And so that webinar happened yesterday, and as Matthew mentioned, they asked him to participate as a panelist, but then uh, they said, actually, we'd like you to facilitate the entire conversation. Goal. Uh, <laughs> and talk about brain science and introduce people to the topic of, you know, the fundamentals of trauma even and really bring people along. And, and so everyone knows, and then I'll, I'll stop talking. So the audience for the webinar was the state education agencies because the state education agencies are in the process of putting together their grant applications for that $1 billion pot of money. So they're in the process of writing their grants and writing you know, what they're gonna use the money for. And so it's a really important time to, to be able to have an influence in how they're thinking. And so um, I feel really proud that we were able to connect them with your message. And I think I wanna reiterate what you said because it's really important. There was excitement from the Department of Education around what we are so very passionate about, and that is shifting paradigms, talking about policies, what can we do differently, right? Um, and I think for those of you who have ever heard me speak, especially when I, when I speak about we're in the midst of opportunity, this smacked me in the face of we are really truly in the midst of opportunity when we're talking about making a transformation to being more trauma-informed in education. I don't know if you saw it in the comments or if you, you heard Jim, but I want to say it again. $1 billion to schools for this work, you all. Like, we couldn't have dreamt this up several years ago. Some people weren't even willing. I spoke at a national legislators conference that was here in Nashville, and there were several legislators that were in the room. And I can tell you, after I said the brain science and said what we're trying to do, I had one. I'm not going to mention the state or the name. But he came up to me, and this is exactly what he said. If you have children, cover their ears, because this might not be appropriate, but this is what he said. I can tell you what kids need. They just need their ass whooped. And that brought me pause. If you would have told me then, several years ago, that we would be in a space where the, the, the U.S. Department, the Federal Department of Education, is giving an allocation of $1 million to school districts to do something differently, and it's under this idea of school safety. Now, here is one thing I found really inspiring about yesterday's webinar. Not one person talked about fortifying schools. Not one person talked about metal detectors. Not one person talked about more SROs. Not one person talked about arming teachers. Not one person talked about more training on doing active shooter drills. Not one person mentioned any of it. It was all in response to how can we be proactive and when necessary, reactive. And I think, Jen, that was one thing that I was excited to be the facilitator of because that's what I wanted to keep highlighting of we have to be proactive. And for, for those of you who are listening or in this work, you know it's a proactive approach, right? We can't be 
reactive all of the time. We have to meet kids before. We have to meet the adults before. One thing that I don't even remember if I said it or not because I was a little shaken by being in that position, but one thing we didn't dig into, oh, yes, we did, yes, we did, was educators focusing on the care and well-being of educators. We did, it was about retaining teachers, right? And that's one thing that I think, I hope that districts can get creative with because that's part of school safety too. If we have dysregulated adults in front of kids every day, we have unsafe classrooms and and that's, that's, it it is what it is, right? And so if you, and I know they're going to, I think there's access to the recording, Jen, do you know uh, about, so there is access, would you, do you know how to get access? I have no idea, but I will be sharing it. It is on. It is going to be posted on the department's website. We'll also do like a debrief blog post at on our website ctip.org as well, so folks can watch the recording there, too. Awesome. Well, I will tell you that um, I can also had another experience that I want to share uh, with Secretary Cordona, uh, which was last year at um, the ATN conference, which is what I was just talking about at the beginning of the podcast, where. Uh, he, Secretary Cordona was uh, virtual, but he was on a panel with myself, Joe Brummer, um, James Moffitt, both have been on here, and Melissa Saden, who has also been on here. Uh, and I will tell you that listening to him speak, first his introduction, I knew that he got the work. Um, I also knew because Joe Brummer actually worked with him at, um, uh, I don't remember where he came from, Maryland, Connecticut. Uh, do, you, do you know? I don't remember. Anyway, they work together. And so Joe was like, poor Tom, I'm telling you, he, he gets it and, and he gets it. And he, there's going to be there's going to be difference. It's going to happen. Um, and then as we asked him question, and I remember the one I asked was about seclusion and restraint. Um, and wow, the authentic responses that he as an educator, because he's an educator, gave, wasn't scripted, wasn't something that he pulled off of some Somebody wrote it for him. It was an authentic from the heart response of what can we do differently? And I left that last year feeling inspired. And then this happens and I'm feeling even more inspired. And I want educators who listen to this or practitioners or parents um, that listen to this to know this work is moving. Because when you're isolated, when you're the only one in your school that's talking about it, I just talked to... um, a practitioner yesterday who uh, is in a large urban district uh, on the East Coast, and she's like, Portal, I don't know what to do. I keep telling, I, I keep sharing, I keep sharing, I still don't know what to do. And I keep going back to, this is also about regulated adults, right? We have to be cognizant of where we are right now in education and educators, and it, this isn't something else we do. It's simply how we operate. And I, I, I want educators not to be discouraged when, your colleagues don't get it. Not be discouraged when your uh, your administrator doesn't get it. Don't be discouraged when your superintendent doesn't get it. Because we can do this work and nobody can tell us not to. Because we're operating with empathy. We're operating um, with science. We're meeting kids where they are. We're being kind. Um, those things nobody can tell us not to do. So stay encouraged. So Jen, what do you see as the next steps, like if you had, this is my pie in the sky, right? Because this is huge. The fact that this has already happened is massive. But from a policy standpoint, 
what do you what would be the next big step that if you had a wand and could change the the what would it be what what would you what would you be advocating for sure i mean i think that a lot of times i come across people and i experience this myself as well where there's just this sense of disillusionment with policymakers with um, members of Congress, with presidential administrations, and um, we see a lot of the negative. There's a lot of there's a lot that's not working, but um, I have seen uh, success. I have seen, and it takes strategy. And I just think it's so important the policy side of things, which is what we're trying to do at CTIP. Um, is to be um, strategic and um, thoughtful and dedicated to the work because as you reflected, Matthew, to perhaps your surprise, there were champions um, in the department, friendly ears, people who were like, thank God I met you, um, I need you on a panel next month, right? Like. Um, and the challenge is that the people on the outside don't know the people on the inside. The people on the inside want to talk to the people on the outside, mm -hmm. but don't know who they are. And the people on the outside want to talk to the people on the inside, but don't know how to get in touch with them. And all I am, like I said, I'm not an expert in education policy, but I know how to connect people, connect the dots, and make sure that the people who have the ideas are talking to the people who want the ideas. And that relationship can happen and when it does happen it leads to some incredible things i would say when it comes to where we are in the strategy um it's not enough to say uh, enough of a strategy to say we're going to pass a bill then we're going to pass another bill then we're going to pass another bill we the bipartisan safer communities act was passed it gave a billion dollars to department of education now the state education agencies have to apply for that grant this is a moment where of advocacy too. It's not just advocating for the bill to get passed. It's advocating for how the SEAs are going to use this money. And so that is a moment for engagement for educators, for advocates to be reaching out to their SEAs to say, let's use it this way. And we have some great examples in that report of strategies, just like the ones that you implemented at your school, Matthew, um for how you create some of this change and so what i see next is what is kind of somewhat outside of my hands I, you know i want to get the word out to as many people as possible but it's kind of now at this point in the strategy in the hands of people at the local community level to do that last mile advocacy and i'm saying this is a good moment reach out have those conversations at a state level at a local level for how you're going to use this money, um, and that's the full strategy from its inception to to the end. And my hope is that um, we'll see some change happen, that we will see some real solutions to the mental health challenges happening in schools. And yeah, that's not um, metal detectors uh, in every school and locks on the doors and things like that. That's making sure every child gets a hello from an adult. Um, that's making sure children are fed and that they have a quiet space to relax, that they understand how to, you know, the importance of breath. 
And, um, and so that for me is what's next. And I think my overarching goal here at CTIP is to help people understand the strategy and the role that they can play in every step throughout the process and to be very specific. Um, you know, and if people want to join our community advocacy network and they just want to sign on to the sign-on letters that we send out, advocating for this, advocating for that, great. If you want to go so far as to um, follow the, the policy as it's being implemented, even better. Um, and so I, I think that's sort of what's next and that was, is what I would sort of empower folks to do. And I, I saw a question, is this, uh, is this a general ed funding? This is just general funding for um, safety, correct? It is. I think it's called this, like a, this, the name of it is like safe schools grants or something like okay. that. But it's there's very limited directives from the department on what they what that means, what they have to implement that to mean. Well, and I will tell you, um, just as an example of the power of funding like this, um, how my previous school, Fall Hamilton, started our journey was from funding from the state of Tennessee and the governor at the time. Bill Haslam, as he allocated $2.5 million for innovation grants around mitigating the impact of adversity um, because he had learned about ACES science. Um, so the district that I was with, Metro National Public Schools, received a, a large amount. Um, for those of you who ever heard me talk, you talk about, uh, you probably have heard me talk about how I entered the district meeting um, because I wanted to write a grant uh, for the money and had my ideas, and there were five other people, and then there was the district people. Uh, I'm just going to tell it because it was it was classic. So we walk in. There's five. There's four people, myself and district people, and I, I knew I needed to wait to speak because I wanted to see what everybody else said. And the first person, I don't even remember what they were proposing, but uh, the response was, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do that. that that's going to be part of our plan. The second person says, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. that that's going to be part of our plan. The third person, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. That's part of plan part of our plan. So my introduction was, this is not going to be part of your plan, but we should do it. And I talked about getting a practitioner who can train the adults, like give us the knowledge, right? Um, and I was told, no, no, I don't think we're going to do that. Uh, and I don't take no very well. So I driving home and I was just brewing and stewing over no. And so I called one of the people I knew and said, listen, let us be the pilot school. You can't have the, you can't use all this funding and not have a school that's doing it that can then have trackable outcomes. And they said yes, and that started the journey. And it was literally like seventy or eighty thousand dollars, and that started our journey. Then we received the ESSER funds, um, the emergency funds from COVID, and we utilized that to enhance what we were doing even more. We actually updated our environments with flexible seating, right? Because we learned how many times have you heard post wherever we are mid-COVID that kids just can't sit still. They just, okay, then they don't have to sit still. Let's give them resources where they don't have to sit still. Um, we also, uh, part of it was used to fund the Be Well in School, which we, you all, we have, we had a full-time certified teacher who was also certified in mindfulness movement and yoga. And we integrated that as a practice where kids got a course four days a month on how do we breathe? What does it do? Of course, it's kid friendly. What do we do? How do we do it at our? How do we do it at our desk? We had our own be well room. Then there was a separate room that kids could self refer when they were feeling dysregulated. 
game changer, you all. It's game changing work. And I think what I heard Jen say, and I want to encourage, is we have to get creative. We have to say, what would be the best opportunity for our kids to have the 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 environment and the skills and the relationships and the connection and the community they need as well as our parents you all we can't leave the parents out of this there's opportunities that we can pull our parents in and have these conversations and so i want to say that just accessing that funding and i was blessed to be in a district that took the esther funding and gave it right to the schools i've also my son attends a district that did not the schools didn't see a dollar the district decided what to do with it and so it, these are ways you can advocate on a local level. Talk at the school board. Talk to your district administrators. It's okay. I, um, I speak publicly, and, and I did when I was a principal. Um, I had finesse. I knew, in the words of Kenny Rogers, I knew when to hold them and when to fold them. Um, but it's okay to be an advocate. It's an okay to say, hey, we've got this idea at my school. Can we try it? Can we have funding to try it? We want to get a we want to get a social worker that's trained so we can do this school wide. We want to get these trainings so we can have a base knowledge. That funding is there. I know that somebody said, um, how do they access their local context? And I think my thing, it sounds like it's from the state first and then it would go um, down to the district. Is that accurate, Jen? So you would advocate to your state. Uh, Department of Ed, I'm assuming. Do you have any more to expand on that, Jen? Because I just don't I, know. Yeah, I keep forgetting I'm on a podcast and I should um, say yes instead of um, nod. Uh, <laughs> um, it's my understanding. So the state will receive the funding and then they will have to fulfill their grant application for how they want to spend it. Um, and so the folks writing the applications right now are going to be at the state education agencies. And to your point, I would say, I couldn't have predicted that the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was going to come together and pass. It happened pretty quickly. Um, and so we don't know when these moments of funding are going to come. But if you are already ready, you can take advantage of them, right? And so I think there is, um, it's worth getting ready because you never know what's coming. And I think we have a, an administration right now in the White House that is really focused on mental health, especially youth mental health. And we don't just work on education at CTIP. We are working with SAMHSA as well, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration, on what they're doing around prevention, treatment, referrals, all that kind of work. Um, and there's a lot of money in that as well. There's a lot of, of money in that as well. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. I would say, get ready. And I will tell you, um, I haven't shared this, but I've got an inside scoop because I've, I'm one of the reviewers of the most recent, um, the 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 soon to be most recent uh, guidance document from SAMHSA. And I'm gonna tell you, it's amazing. Um, they dig in deeply. Um, and I, I want you all to know, even in that I'm advocating, Hey, can we think about this? Hey, can we add this? Hey, have you thought about this? Um, and so all of this work is coming together and people always ask, uh, why did you step out of being a principal? My answer is because of this, 
because I knew that my role with Pace's connection, I knew that where I was that I had to pursue advocacy. I had to pursue being a voice because the time was right. It's right right now. Um, and I would say this is a pretty quick paced change in education if you look at historical context. If you look at how long it takes for education to jump on board to research, this is relatively quick, right? And so stay encouraged, you all. Stay motivated um, and start reaching out to your state Department of Ed. Hey, did you know about the BSCA funding that came from the federal government? Um, because I'm sure the state knows, but your local districts might not know. So, Jan, I mentioned this was going to fly by, and it <laughs> did, right? So if people want to follow CTIP, uh, if they want to learn more about how to get in touch with, with you, how, how can they find all of that information? Absolutely. Our website is uh, ctip.org. I actually hold office hours every Thursday, so you can book those through our website as well if you want to talk more. I love meeting people who are passionate about this work or um, just starting out and getting introduced to this work. And um, I, my communications director would be disappointed uh, in me, but I don't know all of our social media handles off the top of my head. It's probably something along the lines of CTIPP. Um, but you can find all of those things through going to our website. Um, the last thing that I did want to plug, and I know we're sort of going over time, is we have a new campaign that we're launching on Monday. It's called the Take on Trauma Campaign. And this is to build momentum for the 118th Congress, which just began, to really lean in and take on trauma. And um, if you follow our social medias, you'll see a really exciting slate of media come out on Monday. We've partnered with five members of Congress, two in the Senate, three in the House, Democrats and Republicans, to launch this campaign to talk about the importance of trauma, to talk about the importance of, of solving it, so we have this, this media campaign, but part of it is a really important sign-on letter where we're sending a letter to every member of Congress with signatures from their constituents on a letter about the importance of this. There's an opportunity for you to leave a comment on why trauma is so important to you to address. Um, and this is going to be a really important moment to connect constituents with their members of Congress since the start of this Congress and really encourage those representatives to really represent their constituents and also hear from their constituents what they really care about. So I encourage people to go to ctip.org action, sign that uh, sign on letter and sort of join our movement here as we integrate the trauma-informed work with policy. And I will, uh, for those of you who are listening live, that is going to be in the comments. For those of you who are not, please go and sign on um, to that campaign because you all, it's bigger than just education, right? And um, it, it's time, it's our opportunity right now uh, to make a huge impact uh, through the work of CTIP by joining their, their campaigns, their actions. You'll see it on the Trauma-Informed Educators Network page. I've been sharing everything that I can from CTIP because we all talk about it's about policy changes. We have to change the policy. We have to change, change. It's happening. And so now you can be a part of it by simply signing on to these campaigns, signing on to these actions, following CTIP. So thank you so much, Jen, for being on. Thank you for the conversation. Um, if you can't tell, I got a little fired up around 
just how exciting this is. This is huge um, for this work. And shout out to all the pioneers who have been doing this for so long, uh, for laying the groundwork for people like myself uh, to step in and continue to push forward. So thank you all for listening. If you listen live, for those of you who are listening on the podcast, thank you for always listening. Please give us a review uh, on any podcast platform on podcast platform that you listen to. And as always, please, please, please go into the world and do something absolutely awesome.